0: Mo so Tassa th- bhagavato arahato sama buddhasa namo tasa bhagavato arahato samma sam namo tasa bhavato arahato sam this evening I would like to talk about renunciation. Or letting go. I think you are all familiar with this practice. <laughs> you had to let go a lot to come here. <laughs> Some of you, you have to, you have to travel from overseas, and uh, you have to let go of your job and your relationships, and your house, comfortable home. <laughs> And become here. So, you have done uh, some form of renunciation. And also, uh, I've done some part of it actually, uh, donning on robes and becoming a Buddhist monk. So, uh, that's also my form of renunciation. The Pali word for renunciation is nekama. It means non-greed, non-attachment, so so it means letting go. I don't know how this word sounds in the West, renunciation. (laughs) I was in in Washington, and somebody said, I don't like you, you renounced. You are not living in a real world. I said, what, (laughs) I thought I was was in a real world, he said, no. You're not married, you don't work, you're living in another world. I don't know whether he meant Mars or Pluto, I don't know. But I'm on Earth here, I'm experiencing the same problems. You're experiencing the only difference that I just have robes and many rules, 227 rules. (laughs) 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 So it's real world actually. So um, there's another word I like about uh, renunciation that speaks to me. It's called Nisarana, uh, Sarat means, uh, or Charati means to walk, to move. And Ni means out, away, so moving away uh, speaks to me actually. Uh, escape, then the question is escaping from what? Escaping from suffering and its causes. So we are renouncing suffering and its causes. So there are two kinds of renunciation then. One is outward renunciation where actually we give up the world and try to live a holy life like monastics. But that's outward. And some people are called, uh, are called to this practice. Other people don't like it. But really, real renunciation is inward renunciation. I think that's where we share. <laughs> we have a common ground. Whether you put on robes or not, you have to do this practice what we call inward renunciation, where you make a commitment to renounce um, greed, hatred, delusion, fear, views, thoughts, negative thoughts, and perception, and so many other things you have to renounce, actually. Mental states you have to renounce. Of course, it might be easy to put on robes, become a nun or a monk. It might be easy, but it's not so easy to really renounce your thoughts and views and uh, perception because it's very deep inside. It's not so easy. Yet we have to do this work. Traveling around the world, I've seen how people are really attached to their views, to their thoughts and perceptions. Myself, I was so surprised how I am perceived when I got to Uganda as a Buddhist monk. As soon as I arrived at the airport, people say, wow, I like your fashion. So this fashion, I never thought I'd put on a fashion to become a monk and put on a fashion. I said, I really like, how can I get this robe? I said, what? Do you know what it involves to get this robe? 227 rules, are you ready for it? I said, you have to get it in Burma if you want. There's no. You can't get one in Uganda. So they always want this robe. And it's amazing. It's usually Africans, actually. Even when I was coming this time by Emirates, there was a Kenyan working in Emirates. He said, I like your dress. I like your fashion. I never get comments in Europe like this. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know whether Africans are obsessed with fashion. I don't know. Usually the comments I get in Europe, in London, is... I like your arms ball. I mean the, your drum, actually. They say, "Wow, it's a beautiful drum. That's my arms ball that I used to get food. It's amazing. I bought British Airways, the people got so excited. This is going to be our PA, it's going to be on a PA. Let us drum a little bit before we announce. This, I eat from here. <laughs> this is a different perception. When they see an African, they think that every African moves around with a drum. So they have this perception. (laughs) So they are attached to their views, their perception. It's like for me when I went to Tibet, I thought that every Tibetan is a meditator. (laughs) So I have a view of Tibetans really like the Dalam. I thought, wow, everybody in Tibet really is spiritual. Yeah, so I was also surprised (laughs) that uh, not all of them (laughs) when I went to Tibet. All right, this is Uganda. I go there, like uh, reach the airport, and uh, I go in the capital. Then I go to my temple, spend a few days meditating and all that. Then I go in the capital city, Kampala. Then people uh, talk to me. Uh, hey, Maasai, they call me Maasai, which is a tribe in Africa. Then I don't answer them, of course. And they say, Oh, this man is going to a mental hospital or coming from a mental hospital or both. <laughs> but I just come from meditation. <laughs> so people perceive me as a mad person because I'm not wearing shirt. I'm not wearing a pair of trousers. So that's their perception. They're attached to their perception that every man, at least they're in Africa, they have to be in a shirt and a pair of trousers. It's very interesting, the perception of people, but I don't get angry. (laughs) Because I think, I know for myself, I'm not crazy, (laughs) but they really make these comments and they make them in my language, Uganda. And I understand this language very well. But they don't know that I understand even the language because of their perception. But that's not only in Uganda and Africa. In 1996, I went to Tibet uh, after meeting the, his Holiness the Dalai Lama. Uh, I really liked the tradition, Tibetan tradition, and I went to Tibet for a tour. I stayed there for a couple of days, and then after that I was on my own. So I went to many, many places where they have never even seen an African. So, I went to a temple and then uh, I saw people frowning at me. Uh, then I looked at them and they, uh, they, they start walking away from me. So, in Tibet, there are many paintings, murals on the walls, and they have gods, deities. And uh, in the center, there's always a god or goddess. <laughs> who's black and has white teeth. And most Tibetans, I think, where I was, they have never seen an African. So they thought, actually, that I'm a protector, a guardian protector. Every time they saw me, they were so surprised. And for me, I just laughed. And then when I laughed, I had these white teeth. (laughs) And that proved that I'm a guardian deity. (laughs) Uh, they start running out actually. <laughs> so this is perception, really, that's perception. That's, what, I mean, that time I was a Buddhist, but they thought I'm a guardian protector, they are protector actually. Which is a very big figure actually. Always you, you can see this figure on the walls. Now that brings to uh, our Subject of uh, renunciation, uh, renouncing our views, our perception. We are so much attached to our perception, views, and thoughts. We need to renounce them. Renunciation appears in many places in Buddhist literature. And the main place we find it is in the Noble Eightfold Path where the Buddha talked about uh, right thought, Sama Sankhapa. and that's where he talked about Nekama Sankapa means a thought of renunciation, the thought of non-greed. This is right there in the central teaching of the Buddha. So, it's not just only putting on robes, but actually it's a practice that leads to enlightenment. So, there we have to practice non-greed, in other words, generosity. We have to practice thoughts of generosity, like this not only on thought level, actually, also in our speech, we have to be generous. In our actions, we have to be generous. That we can give material things. That's one form of generosity. We can actually give uh, energy. We can volunteer. I think that's all what you are doing here. Also, you are giving your energy, volunteer to work here during the retreat, mindfulness of work, yogi job. So that's one form of generosity. So take joy in that, reflect on it. And you have to cultivate that and reflect on it and you feel joyful about it. And then uh, you can also donate time, Uh, maybe outside the retreat setting, but time is also very important to donate because most people find it difficult to donate time. They can donate material things, but when it comes to time, or I have to watch my movie, I have to go to Uncle Sam, I have to go (laughs) to do this and that. Actually, people are so much attached to time. They don't realize that that really they have attachment to time. And then they cannot give up their time to do something. So it's close to the ego, so we don't want to let go. That's why we don't actually donate easily our time. We can donate material things, but very difficult to donate time. But also, actually, generosity works in both ways. Also, you have to be willing to receive. You have also to be open to receiving. I've seen many times people who actually are generous. But when it comes to giving them something, they say, no, 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 no. Why are you giving it to me? You mean you don't want it? (laughs) So I don't give things because I don't want them. (laughs) I'm just giving them because I'm giving things as a practice to let go of my attachment. Many, many times I give something and people question me. Why do you give me this? You don't want it? So that culture of giving things that you don't want, not so good practice. <laughs> and also there's a difference between giving and abandoning. But I've seen many people actually give things, but they're abandoning. There's a difference between abandoning and giving, right? So. Apart from that place, the noble path, we find also renunciation as a parami, as a perfection, that the Buddha had to perfect over many lives to re- attain Buddhahood. So it's a perfection. In its highest form, highest form, the Buddha gave up his life, many lives. I don't know if you are willing to do that, <laughs> give up life. Uh, for others, for the sake of others, and uh, also there's another perfection where he gave up different organs, but also we do it, I think, in, in the States. We, we donate our kidney and all this. That's a form of generosity, but you have to do it out of understanding, of course, because some people, they do this sometime outside the United States just to come to the USA to, <laughs> uh, to donate the, their organ. Of course, donating everything and give up everything, these are perfections. But really, I I think in this context of our retreat, I'd like to talk more about renunciation of mind states, like greed, hatred, delusion, fear, that's what I want to talk more actually about. In a retreat setting, it's very, very important to practice renunciation. And in fact, when we look at uh, the gradual teaching of the Buddha, he talked. Whenever he taught people, he talked about dana he talked about sila ethical conduct, and then he talked about. Uh, sensual pleasures in heavenly realms, and he talked about the danger of sensual pleasures, and then talk about renunciation. After talking about renunciation, then he would talk about the Noble Eightfold Path, suffering, scores and liberation, and the way to liberation. So you can see clearly in the gradual, inst- gradual instruction of the Buddha. So um, renunciation is very important at some stage if you want to really succeed in the practice. Because sometimes people don't let go. They want to practice, but they don't want to let go. Sometimes it's funny to, uh, I don't know if you've heard about this, all people want to go to to heaven, but nobody wants to die. (laughs) So you want to attain Nibbana, (laughs) awakening, but you don't want to let go. Sometime I heard that uh, most people in the West, uh, somebody told me, I don't remember, that uh, the way they practice is like tying the boat on a dock and speeding it. So (laughs) they speed, but the boat is still tied on a dock. So in the West, we have actually a lot of energy, actually. I stayed in Asia. I think by next year, it's going to be my 10th year of staying in Asia. But my impression, being in the West, I think Westerners have a lot of energy (laughs) to practice. Really, really, I'm so inspired. If we can remember to untie that boat, (laughs) 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 I think we will be very successful. (laughs) But people don't want to untie it, (laughs) they don't want to renounce. No, renunciation is for monks and nuns. (laughs) Uh, for me, no. I will live with a little bit of this and a little bit of those. I'll have my, I'll have my, I'll have my, cake, my cake and eat it. also. So, so that's the kind of practice. So now, to help you identify some areas where you need to uh, renounce, I'll spell them out for you and then uh, see what we can do. The first area, I think, is expectation. Most people don't want to renounce this. We live in a culture which is goal-oriented. So everything has to be measured, cost-benefit analysis, kind of. So then we tend to measure our practice of like, after putting in two seats or three seats, I expect to get this. After this retreat, I expect to get jana. Jhana one, two, three. And the Buddha was very good, he numbered them, so it's very easy to count. <laughs> I mean, if there's no God in Theravada Buddhism, <laughs> at least there are lists. <laughs> we don't have a God, but we have a lists. Jana one, two, three, I mean, this teaching is so systematic. Even different levels of sainthood, right? different levels of awakening. There's level number one, level number two, level number three, level number four, and this appeals to the Western minds so they can measure themselves that now I'm a sotapana. I don't know the media here. I don't know whether you have managed to go in a newspaper, the New York Times and all this, but I think there is that tendency of expectation about this practice. And at the end of the three months, I'll be really uh, a now, full in Latin, maybe I'll float around New York. <laughs> <laughs> and everybody will say, I, I'm a spiritual and I put on white. And I mean, not done on robes, but I put on white just to look pure. So <laughs> 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 yes, I've come from a three month retreat, everything's different. Actually. This is not only here, I was teaching in Uganda recently, and then a Ugandan asked me he attended the retreat for one day, he asked me, "Bante, there are some friends of us, friends of us who didn't come to meditate. What are we going to tell them? How can we tell the difference between us who attended one-day retreat and them we didn't come?" I looked at him <laughs> You come on a retreat for one day <laughs> and you want to measure the difference. Do you expect to be more pale, <laughs> more lighter? <laughs> I mean, this is expectation. So we come on a retreat here and we expect a lot. Actually, expectation is very good before you come on a retreat. It's very, very good, actually. That's how we can uh, f- find somebody who's going to house it. Uh, <laughs> Then uh, give our dog some neighbors and all these kind of things. Very, very good, actually, in planning phase. But once we are here, then it's a form of loba, which is attachment. It's a form of loba, and it can get in a way. Right? It can get in a way. It can actually hinder us. Once we come on a retreat, we need to substitute expectation uh, with Aspirations. Okay, there's no problem to have aspiration. Okay, I wish to attend Nirvana at the end of the retreat. I'm not saying uh, saying that. Okay, you be here and just space out and be like a vegetable who doesn't uh, you know, and you don't have aspirations or, or inspiration. No, no, you should have inspiration, aspirations, but not expectations. Expectations have served you very well to bring you here to bring you here, now you are here, right? So we need to go to another level. There is a good caption there as you go upstairs. I like it very much. In 1999, whenever I looked at that, it helped me to practice. It said that uh, uh, try not to expect anything in this way, in this way everything will open up for you. I think that's how it goes. Try not to expect in in, in this way, in in that way. So uh, I think if you go and look at it, it will guide you in terms of expectation. So we need to renounce these expectations and be expectation free. (laughs) So that's the first step that's gonna help you to practice here. Then another attachment we have, and we need to renounce that, is food. I don't know if you have noticed the food here is great. <laughs> actually, not only here. I remember the first retreat I did in Tibet. I uh, know, actually, in India. I'm telling you, I have fond memories of that retreat. <laughs> it seems the retreat center have this catch. Everywhere I've been on a retreat center, the food is great. Now, it, that can become an area of attachment, and some people ask, try to ask for recipes. You know, actually, I remember in ninety nine, I think they were making a note. Please, will you give the recipe after at the end of the retreat. Maybe they got the note. <laughs> people with are eating food, they're trying maybe to ask what, how to, how do to, how do you make this kind of food, and what are the recipes and all that. So, I, I think that can become an area of obsession. So you need to renounce that um, by practicing what we call moderation in food. You take uh, little amounts, not a lot, <laughs> so that it can support your practice. If you take a lot of food because the food is great, it's uh, tasty, then that's not going to pra- uh, support your practice. You feel a lot of sleepiness. So you try to practice mindfulness of eating and uh, I think that will help you to cut down slowly by slowly. So we need to renounce food and eat just the uh, the amount of food that we need to support our body for the purposes of practice. In a way that's how we reflect we monastics. Uh, Whenever we eat food we reflect we are not eating for enjoyment, we are not eating for fun, for beautification. We are eating food to sustain our body, to practice this teaching of awakening. So this is a reflection that we do. Why is it difficult, actually? Because uh, we are used to eat many, many times in our day life. When things are not going right, we go to the fridge and pick something. and. I mean, we eat maybe eight times a day, <laughs> but here you cannot afford that. So when you, it comes to the main meal, so you really want to grab the every opportunity to get all the food that you need. And especially we don't eat dinner, or oh, the dinner's light for you. <laughs> but this can be an area, a big a piece, actually, of the retreat. So you can mo- practice moderation. Uh, I don't know about you, tea is also another area (laughs) that you want to watch. (laughs) For me, that was a big area. After sitting meditation, I would go and make myself a cup of tea. It would take me maybe 15 minutes actually, and then I would cut walking meditation. And the net effect, I had a lot of pain because I was cutting walking meditation. I wasn't doing it, I was enjoying my cup of tea. So, uh, you need also to renounce that uh, renunciation. I'm not saying living a gloomy life and just d- no, no, it's just moderation. Slowly by slowly, you can cut down instead of getting obsessed with tea and all that. By the way, talking about tea, uh, don't send me tea to Uganda. <laughs> uh, some people, I, last time I gave a talk here, and somebody sent me tea to Bhavana. That's okay, but. Don't send it to Uganda. So I enjoyed tea here but don't send tea in Uganda. It it will take time to reach. (laughs) Another area you need to renounce is the notes board. I would like you to review how many times you go to the notes board. (laughs) And you stay there, gazing at the notes board. As if there is anything new, actually. I mean, so schedule, and <laughs> it's not changing all the time, actually. So we need to renounce. It's called not bored renunciation, <laughs> it's all seeking for stimulation. This is called <laughs> six senses, and one of them is seeing. I'm telling you this is a very strong sense, seeing, oh, it's a big one. As you're walking and then all of a sudden you look at other yogi like this. Oh, I like the hairdo, <laughs> I like, <laughs> like the dress. Maybe somebody's from Finland or somewhere. Uh, and, uh, somewhere, I'm not talking about Finland, any other country. Uh, and then you say, I wonder whether I can get that dress actually. <laughs> Of somebody from Uganda or uh, Mozambique or somewhere. And something attract your sense. I mean, sight is a very strong sense. So before you start walking meditation, you might want to be aware of seeing. For me, that's how I start my meditation, seeing, seeing, seeing. So that when I start walking, anything that I meet on the way as I'm walking, Back and forth, I remember to to just be a way of seeing. Not seeing, I want it. Seeing, I don't like it. That's what happens (laughs) when you are doing walking meditation. Then uh, you are walking, and all of a sudden you look. Oh, I don't like the way how she's walking or how he's walking. I don't. I like. I I mean, she's really slow. I like that one. Let me try to slow down. I mean, just mind your business. Actually, (laughs) M. M-Y-B. If you practice M-Y-B, <laughs> you'll be great. Mind your own business. When you go for walking, don't worry about others. Actually, I talk about these things because I was a yogi, actually. I was in Burma for a two-month retreat and this Chinese monk was looking at my steps and he pulled out a camera and took all the chunks <laughs> of walking. That time I was six steps, rising, pushing, pl- and the evening, we we're taking a, a cup of uh, juice and say, Venerable, this is how you should walk. And he replayed the camera, actually. <laughs> I mean, most of the things I talk about, I've experienced them <laughs> because I've practiced many retweets around the world. <laughs> yes, so I know exactly what's your mind, <laughs> what <do> you think. <laughs> So, I've been there, done that, so I I caution you. Another area that you want to watch is called attachment. Uh, Okay, before I go to that, of course, attachment to sites, uh, especially notes board, look at once or twice, not all the time. (laughs) I mean, even when you go there, just glance a moment and just look at where, whether you have interview or not, and when is lunch, which is, of course, very important. <laughs> you don't want to miss lunch or an interview. But don't stay there and really, really, really spending a lot of time really trying to seek for brain stimulation. That's the practice I think you can do. Now, we go to the next area. It's called uh, attachment to relationships. Uh, I know some of you are here with friends and uh, spouses and all this. In my experience as a yogi, I found out whenever I attended a retreat with a friend, we are writing each other notes. Really, can you really renounce and this practice um, of writing notes to each other until the end of the retreat? Yes, so it can become an attachment as you exchange notes and all these and i mean sometimes i uh, i could not stop it and uh, i just felt uh, it was just disturbing my practice and then i'd lay to answer the note and my friends say oh you are not answering my note so it's really a big really hindrance so you can renounce that actually and then you let go you say you know i write to you at the end of the retreat Now it's time to practice. So this is an area that I caution you not to overwrite notes to friends and spouses, I know you have a lot of time to communicate. The another another area is attachment to the body. You need to renounce the body, I mean, you're going to have your body of course. (laughs) But uh, excessive uh, kind of concerned about the body. Especially when we uh, meditate and we have pain and, uh, and we, oh this pain, what is it going to do to my body? Uh, then because we have excessive attachment to our body, so whenever we have even a little pain it's going to lead to many many thoughts. A lot of fear, around pain, a lot of anxiety around pain. One of them uh, that I would like to watch when you have pain, Uh, if thoughts arises that you're going to end up in an emergence world, that's, uh, I I think, an obsession of the body. (laughs) So really thinking about, oh, you know, my leg is going to be amputated and all these things. (laughs) How am I going to walk from here? Actually, from experience at least, the retreats I've attended two months in Burma, three months here and all that. I mean, I've never, been some, I've never seen somebody who actually had a problem with legs <laughs> because of pain. In other words, I've never seen somebody who was, like cut off legs because they had a lot of pain in the meditation. No, no, no. But this is the first thought that arises. I know. I was sitting there. That's what I thought. On three-month retreat, I say I'm not going to be able to walk again. <laughs> but it's not true. It's attachment to our body. We want to be in a, our body to be in a good shape. So the practice of uh, body is, of course, mindfulness of body, seeing as tears uh, from the hair. This is a practice the Buddha made, uh, gave in the for foundational mindfulness. The practice of the body, looking at the body as it is. Not the body, I like it, not the body, I hate it. No, this is the body. Actually, those instructions you got in the morning is amazing. This is the body, but is that how you practice? No, sometimes when we practice, we say, this is the body, I like it. This is the body, I don't like it. Yes, so in fact, the practice is not really Uh, getting emotionally involved, not to have emotion commotion about the body. Really seeing the body as it is. And when we look at the instruction, we find out uh, it really addresses how we, we should see the body, mental dissection of the body, different parts of the body. Attachment to sensual pleasures—that's a big piece. Of course, be mindful of it. Investigate how you feel when desire arises, when attachment arises to sensual pleasures. Try to investigate how they arise, how they pass away, and letting go. Learning to release, to let go. Now, we have all had this. Now, this is a, a, an eternal question here. Why? are we attached? Why can't, non, can, why can't we renounce? We're not good, and it leads to good results, but why don't we do it? The answer is there. There is what we call vipalasa, the distortions, V-palasa. This is translated as perversion, but I think that's a strong word. But the best word is distortions of the mind. Our mind is distorted. Not that we do it deliberately, it's a kind of optical illusion, for instance. The way we perceive the information that comes through our senses, it's really different, actually. It's amazing, actually, how these distortions of the mind on a level of perceptions and a level of thoughts and a level of views, how actually they mold our reality, the way how we should meditate and our self-identity and all the things. So if you remember this word in Pali, it's called the You are going to be successful because exactly that's what gets in the way. That's what gets in the way. And when you look at a rope and you think it's a snake. (laughs) Actually, it happened to me the first morning here. Uh, In the morning, I woke up and I saw somebody. I saw a limo, Worcester limo. And somebody went into that uh, limo just at around maybe 6 in the morning. And then my perception that this was a yogi leaving the retreat in day one. And then I say, why is this yogi leaving? Is it because uh, my talk was not great? <laughs> I thought maybe Carl made a little bit of a <laughs> <And> Maybe <laughs> I said, what did I say actually in my talk? That it was a put off for this yogi. <laughs> Because my teacher went to Switzerland, Bante Gunaratana, and gave a talk. And there was a reverend who attended the, uh, this, who was attending the retreat. And Bante Gunaratana talked about eight precepts. In the morning, this reverend was so angry. He said, I don't like Buddhist. You talk about seven, eight precepts. and I should, We should be free. He left the retreat, actually. He never attended this retreat. So I thought this yogi, actually, <laughs> he is not going to attend this three-month retreat because of our, uh, 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 our talk, It was me and Carol who gave a talk that evening. I went to the staff and, and the staff room, I said, I saw a yogi leaving. <laughs> and they said, a yogi leaving on the first day? I said, yes, I saw one. <laughs> That's my perception. <laughs> and then staff members said, oh, no, no, is just a staff member. It's not a yogi. But I really thought he's a yogi, because i never seen a staff member bring a Worcester limousine. (laughs) So you see how my perception molded my thoughts and my views, and uh, I told the teacher that, you know, we have just lost one yogi. (laughs) It's not true. (laughs) So this is the Vipalasa, we are talking about Vipalasa. On a level of perception, on a level of thoughts, on a level of uh, views. Now, this is how it works. This is not what we intend, but this is what uh, happens actually. We tend to perceive something which uh, is like unlovely, as lovely, or as beautiful, something which is not really uh, beautiful. We, we perceive it as, perceive it as beautiful. We tend to perceive something that is really impermanent, and we perceive it as permanent. We tend to perceive things that really are suffering, and we perceive it as pleasurable. Something which has no self, we perceive it as a self. So we actually tend to make things upside down like this. These four perversions actually they get in the way of our practice of renunciation because we our views distorted it's really erroneous. We don't see things clearly. We don't see things clearly. In Japan. had this story that in Japan there was kind of a famine, and they uh, didn't have grass for horses, and the horses were dying. So, because the gra- the grass was so dry, and whenever they gave it to horses, they could not eat it. So the Japanese are very good; they found out a solution. So they found goggles. And they put green glasses, and they put it on the horses like this. (laughs) I'm telling you the horse went to grass and devoured the grass. They ate all the grass. Before they were starving, (laughs) this time they ate all the grass because of the goggles. Now the horses, we are seeing everything green. Even if it's dry, but it's seeing it green. Is it a familiar story for our life, (laughs) how we perceive life and we we put on our goggles, some of green, some of red. (laughs) We actually putting on goggles, all of us, until we attain enlightenment. We perceive our world, the world in our prism. Our self-identity, where we come from, and I'm African, I'm a monk, I'm these All these identities we have and sub-identities, that's how we view life and we project life on others. We eat all the grass. It's true, actually. <laughs> it's just amazing, actually. Now the practice is to try to remove the glasses and put it there. And that's where the Buddha's teaching is very beautiful. Because the teaching is there to remove those glasses so that you eat dry grass, it's non palatable, but you eat it anyway. Instead of seeing that it's a green grass and eat it <laughs> at all costs. It's better to see reality as it is, other than being deluded, right? So. The teaching on the Four foundation of Mindfulness precisely helps us to remove the glasses and see things as they really are. In other words, the Four foundation of Mindfulness reverses all these vipalasas. The practice of Four foundational of Mindfulness reverses each of the distortions. Like, for instance, the distortion of seeing the body as beautiful. When we come to meditate and practice mindfulness of the breath, is the breath beautiful? Please raise your hand if you feel that the breath is beautiful. And that's how we start the practice. The breath is the, is the breath. <laughs> that's how we actually we start with the breath. <laughs> it's not that beautiful. It's not that ugly. <laughs> it's not seven years old or 10 years old. It's a variable time. That's part of the body, that's why even the instruction tell you that this is the body. It's the body, Yes, it. Many contemplation of the body reveals that the body is not what we think it is, actually, it's what it is. <laughs> the body is as it is, we put other qualities, it's beautiful, I'm not saying that it's not beautiful, but we put qualities. Depends on our prism, depending on the glasses we're putting on, actually. <laughs> because uh, other people might say it's beautiful, and I say Oh, it's not so, and all that and kind of depends on the person who's seeing. That's why they say beauty in the eye is in the eyes of the beholder. So it depends. But really, when you look at the body clearly, it's as it is. The body doesn't know that even it's beautiful, actually. It's just the body. Different elements, we look at them and we see it as this. The practice of uh, mindfulness of feelings can help us to uh, overcome the vipalasa of thinking that everything is pleasurable. When we practice mindfulness of feeling, sooner or later we'll find out feelings. Pleasant, unpleasant, and neutral. In this teaching, we don't have mixed feelings. You know, that's what we always say I have mixed feelings. <laughs> no way. <laughs> that's another Vipalasa distortion. <laughs> so, the, here the feelings, when you practice mindfulness of feeling, it's very clear pleasant, unpleasant, and neutral and other distinctions that we can talk about. So you can see actually the practice of mindfulness, it helps us to overcome these distortions. The, uh, The practice of mindfulness of mind states, like aversion, hatred, and delusion, helps us to overcome the distortion of permanence, seeing permanence in what is impermanent. So, for instance, when you are watching your anger, here in the practice of meditation, we start to see that anger is arising, anger is passing away, desire is arising and is passing away, right? Desire for food and all that. It rises and passes away. In the Bipalasa, we find out we want everything to be permanent. So even when things are impermanent, we fix them to be permanent. And that's how we, ha- we can survive with our craving and attachment. Attachment wants to make things stable in relationships, in whatever it is. In other words, if you're attached to food, that means you want to have the same food the whole of your life. So you have attachment and you fix it that things are permanent. But when we come to meditation, we find out, oh, Anger is rising and passing away. So mindfulness of different mental states, mind states, help us to overcome uh, the vipalasa of, of um, permanence. So actually, so that we can see these mind states clearly, not just distorted with our goggles, Right. So then a mindfulness of Dharmas, uh, mm-hmm. mental objects helps us to overcome the vipalasa of seeing a self in something that have no self. Like, for instance, our body-mind process, like our five aggregates of form, body, feelings, perceptions, mental formations, and um, uh, consciousness. We tend to fixate them and say that it's a core inside these processes. But when we come to the practice of mindfulness of these five aggregates, we find out that everything is in a flow, is a process. Empty phenomena roaring. There's a, a there which has have that uh, uh, bumper sticker. I like it very much. Empty phenomena roaring. <laughs> so all these things are actually just uh, no self. So the practice of the foundational mindfulness helps a lot. But also the practice of Vipassana, Vipassana, Insight Meditation helps to overcome these four distortions. Especially the distortion of uh, permanence and suffering, I mean pleasurable and uh, self. When we, whenever we practice Insight Meditation, we're always trying to find out the true nature of reality. V in vipassana stands for v- vivesana, visesana, which means the, knowing the specific, uninteresting, interesting future of the exp- of the things of experience. Vida in vipassana also means vivida, which means knowing things in a different way, in terms of anicca, impermanence, dukkha, suffering, and uh, and unsafe. When we combine those two, when we see things uh, clearly, actually it reverses these tenets of this Vipalasa on these four levels. We see things are changing all the time. We don't see uh, f- or fix it that things are really permanent. We see impermanence. Mean we see S- unsatisfactoriness. We see selfless nature, impersonal nature of our experience. So when we practice vipassana meditation, actually it helps to overcome these vipassana. But again, there's a big question here. We've read so many books. I don't know how many di- retreats you have attended. <laughs> I think most of us here really are really seasoned meditators. But still, why is there always some kind of attachment in one form or fashion? Why? There must be a reason. The reason is that actually, for instance, impermanence. Why are we unable to see impermanence? We can write books about it. We can give talks about it. But sometimes uh, we can't see for ourselves impermanence because it It's concealed by the continuity of events. The continuity of events conceals this insight into impermanence. We can't see it clearly because it's concealed. As a young boy in Uganda, I used to play with fire. I used to get fire and light it like this. And then I would do like this in front of a face of a friend like this like this, like this. And I was so fascinated how this fire could make a circle. And it was a complete circle. Really, I I don't know, as a a boy I was excited about this experiment. I didn't know about impermanence. For me I was just fascinated making like this in the face of somebody like this, run like this. But I came to meditation and I said, wow, this is how our mind is Uh, Works, you know, is that we tend to see things as continuous. But actually when you look at my movement, it's one movement after the other, like this, one movement or the other. But what the mind does is that we tend to see things as continuous. And that conceals this insight into impermanence. We can't see it clearly. We can talk about it. I know some of you have written books. (laughs) Some of you, your seasoned meditator, we can talk about it, but the thing, seeing it clearly, it's difficult because it's concealed. And it's our duty to really break our experience apart so that we can see impermanence. permanence. That's why we tell you to do walking meditation and then tell you to break your experience. When you're lifting your leg, when you're moving, when you're placing, so that you can see clearly, we, we try to break the experience so that you can see those movement, one movement after the other. Instead of saying, okay, do it very fast. When you do things very fast, you, everything's conflated and then you cannot see in permanence nature of experience. That's why we tell you to slow down so that you can see different chunks after one chunk like this. You see it when you're driving, when you're driving, there's a different lights, right? and they say it's detour. So from far away, it looks at like an arrow, a complete arrow like this, and you follow it. But when you drive close like this, you, it's just one bulb after the other. So you can see when we come, we have wisdom, we can see different strands, different experience, and then we can say, "Oh, this is how the mind actually works. That it tends to seem things actually uh, permanent, but actually things are impermanent. Those lights are impermanent. One light after the other, they're just blinking very fast, <laughs> one after the other, and then they look like it's an arrow, but it's not an arrow. So we actually practice to see that through that. So then, suffering is concealed by movement, movement and uh, change, you know. As we sit here, every time we do like this, then we cannot experience that situation, because we're moving a lot. So uh, if you're meditating on all the time doing like this, you can sit for five hours actually. (laughs) If you keep on moving like this, (laughs) because as soon as the pain comes and you move like this, then you actually, it's concealed by your movement. And you think that actually it's not there because you're moving like this. It's there, but it's not obvious. It's there, but it's not obvious. So it's concealed by movement or change. Whenever we change postures, then we think there's no suffering. Yeah, like when you have pain and go sit in a chair there, my friend, suffering is there in a the chair, but it's not so obvious. <laughs> it's just not obvious. So that's how it's concealed. Then another thing is about non-self, it's con- concealed by compactness and solidity of our experience. Our body looks so solid and compact. So we think that everything is actually of a core. But everything is impersonal, has no core. So this is why actually we are unable to see clearly these three characteristics of existence, impermanence, unsatisfactoriness, and uh, selfless nature. So work on that and do the mindfulness and do the insights. I think it should be in a good shape. Okay, let us look at the benefits. <laughs> 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 let us look at benefits. Actually, this is a serious talk, actually. <laughs> so let us look at benefits of renunciation. Because actually, when we practice like this, we are renouncing um, our perceptions and thoughts and all this. That's really all about perception, I mean, about renunciation. When we practice, then we see things as they really are, we are going to renounce uh, our um, distortions and all these things. So now, let us look at benefits before I end this talk. So what are the benefits of renunciation? Always when I do something, I want to find out benefits. What are the fringe benefits (laughs) of renunciation? So one of them is, actually, uh, you overcome fear. The Buddha said in Dhammapada, uh, from craving arises fear, from craving arises sorrow, from craving arises uh, uh, sadness. Where there's no craving, there's no fear. So if you want to overcome fear, overcome sadness, sorrow, lamentation, practice renunciation. In one form or fashion, you you don't, you may not need to uh, don on robes and go to a monastery, but really renounce your mental states. Greed, hatred, delusion, and all that. That's the thing benefit. But there's ultimate benefit which is awakening. Ultimate benefit is called awakening or enlightenment. The entire Buddha's teaching from beginning to the end, it's geared towards awakening. And it's actually the way to reach awakening is through renunciation. There is no cutting out corners, unfortunately. The entire Buddha's teaching, you cannot cut out corners. (laughs) You cut out corners, you just delay the path. (laughs) <laughs> so the benefits. One of them is freedom from non-attachment. The benefit is gladness. These mental events, mental states, you find them scattered in Buddha's teaching. They go one after the other. Once you are free from attachments and you renounce, these benefits that you gain and people say, Oh, why are you a monk? Are you not missing scuba diving? <laughs> I you know because I was scuba diving, diving instructor actually before I became a monk. People ask me don't you miss scuba diving? I say well, I mean I'm having fun here too. As a monk, I mean, yes, it's great. I like it. You may not like it, but I like it. So gladness is immediate benefit when you you renounce even on a temporary basis, not on a permanent basis, you feel gladness. In Pali, is called Pamoja. From gladness, you get, what, you get joy, what we call joy, pity. From joy, you get tranquility, Pasadi. Yeah. From tranquility, your mind will be, be calm and peaceful. Of course, you gain what we call happiness, sukha. Then from happiness, you gain concentration. If you want concentration, untie that boat. <laughs> That's how to gain concentration. Let go. Sometimes, actually, we, get, we don't get concentration because we have desire for concentration. Yes, when am I going to get concentration? So you sit here. Yes, I want to gain concentration. I mean, you are in a way. So if you want to gain concentration, be happy. May I be well, happy, and peaceful then you gain concentration. So that's the benefit of renunciation. Then from concentration, uh, you get the benefit of seeing things as they really are. Yatabuta nyana dasana in Pali. Then when you see things as they really are, you gain what we call nibida, which is disenchantment. This is not a negative form, a negative state disenchantment, is disillusioned, is actually a psychological event. Is a positive one that really uh, you let go our attachment. It's not something that come out of delusion. That's why it comes after seeing, seeing, seeing things as they really are. It's just like when a dog goes to eat uh, like a bone and it's fine meat. I mean, it cannot find meat, it keep on chewing on it and then it doesn't find meat and all of a sudden it just blats out and throw it away. So it's disappointed in a way. So uh, the same mental state disenchantment is actually after really find out that this thing leads to blind ends, you just give up and say, okay. I don't want this uh, to do this and all this. So then, there's another mental state which comes after that is called viraga. Viraga, raga there is gluing uh, that the desire lasts. So viraga is not gluing. So is in other words, letting go, non-attachment. And then finally, from viraga, which is in English, they call it dispassion, we attain what we call vimuti, final awakening. That's the instance of the practice of renunciation. I'd like to end up with a quote from the Buddha, actually, where I say that, in this teaching, there's nothing to cling on as I, mine, myself. Whoever hears this teaching has had the whole teaching. Whoever practices this teaching has uh, practiced the whole teaching. Whoever realizes this teaching has realized the whole teaching. So, Don't cling, don't get attached. In other words, don't uh, take experience as mine, I, myself. One thing you need to remember, and and, and I got this from from a staff member here. His office is there. He put on his table, not I AMS. Not I, not mine, not myself. (laughs) So if you remember that... You remember all my talk today. Not I, M, S. Not I, not mine, not myself. That's what you need. Let us sit for a moment or two. In this teaching... There is nothing to cling on as mine my, i myself whoever hears this teaching has had the whole teaching whoever practices this teaching has practiced the whole teaching whoever realizes this, realizes this teaching has realized the whole realized the whole teaching may you attain final final awakening through Pronunciation. I offer this for your reflection, not IMS. You are (laughs) IMS but remember your practice is not IMS. Thank you very much for listening.